Hi, this is Sarah McDonald from the Royal Statistical Society and I'm at the RSS 2019 conference with Ian Flint from G's Growers to talk about one of the sessions that we're holding today from the Business, Industry and Finance stream at conference, Minimising Food Waste by Adapting Growing Programmes to the Weather. So, hi Ian. Hi Sarah. Thanks for coming in to talk to us. No, it's a pleasure. <laughs> Could you give some background to G's Growers and what they do and what your role is there? Sure. So G's Growers uh, is part of G's Fresh. And as a group, we are one of the biggest suppliers of fresh produce, so salad crops and other vegetables in Europe. Um, specifically, I'm part of the innovation team within G's Growers, who is the cooperative of growers in that group. Uh, and in our innovation team, we specifically look in two areas. We look at uh, precision farming. So that's trying to farm intelligently using using data to farm, uh, as well as the sustainability team trying to minimize the impact that we have while we are growing. Great. And you talk specifically about the IceCam product, uh, project, which is a crop, crop growth model. Um, could you just give a brief explanation of what it is and what it was created for? Sure. So the IceCam project stands for the iceberg, meaning iceberg lettuce, our main crop, iceberg crop adaptive model. Uh, and effectively what we're trying to do is understand how the crop responds to the weather. So uh, we operate with two kind of core assumptions. One is that there's an optimum temperature for growth and there's a saturation level of light, meaning a, a level of light above which the crop is not going to grow any faster. And this is based on uh, nearly 100 years of uh, research in photosynthesis. So it's a well understood um, response. Uh, based on that assumption, and another one where we assume that it takes a set number of days for the crop to come to maturity uh, under optimum conditions, we then build a model based on observations of planting dates and harvest dates for when we think a crop will come ready for harvest based on the weather. And this allows us to adapt our growing programs that we, that we build uh, to weather so that if we see it's coming warmer or it's coming colder, we can adapt what we're doing uh, to avoid wasting crop by growing things that we're not going to be able to sell or, or not growing enough to meet demand. And is crop growth modelling commonly used in agriculture? So it is used in agriculture. It has been for a while in what's called arable crops. So that's your cereal crops like wheat, barley, uh, soybeans, potatoes. And that's primarily for food security reasons. So in a lot of developing countries, the UN has tried to push um, crop modelling to help farmers understand what's going to happen to their crops to respond to, to the change in climate or just to seasonal variability that's normal uh, to help uh, prevent food shortages going on. We're in what's called horticulture, so that's vegetable growing, and that's, it's really not very common at all. We haven't actually come across any other businesses that do the kind of work that we're doing. Um, and for us, it's an interest primarily because we can't store the produce that we produce. We have to sell it the week that we harvest it or it will rot. So we really need to um, be making the correct sowing and growing decisions every week, uh, and that's why we've been motivated. Uh, to develop this project. And what sort of things have helped to improve crop growth modelling over time? Is it fine-tuning the model, better weather predictions, or are there other factors involved? So it's a, it's a combination of the two, really. Uh, we are, we are fine-tuning the model every year. Every year we get more information, we respond, we see a different uh, weather pattern in each region, which gives us a sort of different perspective on the data, and that has been slowly improving the accuracy. Uh, but of course, a better weather forecast is going to help us out. Uh, we're talking about making sowing decisions uh, when we actually put the crop into the greenhouse 10, 12, 14, maybe even 16 weeks before we actually harvest it and no weather forecasts go out that far. So we really have imperfect knowledge about what's going to happen, 
even if our model is perfectly uh, responds to the weather information we have perfectly. So we're constantly on the search for better weather forecasts. Uh, and someone I met in the conference today actually was going to help me uh, understand what his business does in terms of seasonal weather forecasting. So we're constantly on the hunt for uh, especially better weather data. So, and, and you've actually been doing some, some of your own weather. You, you mentioned in your session yeah, that you've so, been... Yeah, so we actually have 15 um, weather stations that we have managed across the UK. So in uh, East Anglia, um, Sussex, and Norfolk. We have 15 weather stations that are every hour are recording the temperature, um, sunlight, precipitation, uh, these kind of variables, humidity, um, so that we can actually calibrate the weather, predict the weather forecasts that we're getting in to understand how it's affecting the weather observations that we're making. So as well as weather, there are other factors involved in, in your modeling um, that you mentioned in your session today, things like sales expectations, uh, other things that happen during the process. Could you just talk us through a few of those? Sure, yeah. So we have, we have a sales program that we, uh, we get from our customers, so Tesco, Sainsbury's. We have a, long a sort of ongoing relationship with them uh, about an expectation of what they're going to need every week. Uh, but those sales demands will, will change with time. That's, um, uh, Things, things may happen in the market that will cause them to realize they need to change uh, how much they are selling in any given week. And so we need to try to respond to that or at least be, be ready for the fact that that could change. So we have uncertainty from the weather side, but also actually from the goal side, from actually what we're trying to achieve. It's a bit of a moving target in terms of that sales. We need to be ready to respond to that. Yeah. And you also mentioned something in your session about the Agri-Eye project. Would you like to say just a few things about sure. that? Yeah, so AgriEye is the, again, like can we've given a name to our project to help sell it within the business. It's always, always helpful to do that and to sell it outside. So AgriEye is our remote sensing project. Um, so what we're doing there is we're actually using light aircraft in the UK as well as drones in the UK and in Spain where we grow crop in the wintertime. Uh, we're using these two platforms to take imagery at three centimeter resolution. So each pixel is three by three centimeters. That is fine res resolution enough that we can actually uh, distinguish between plants in the field. So we take imagery uh, early in the crop's life before the leaves are overlapping one another, meaning we can actually distinguish between them, count them in the field through the imagery, and actually then size them to see where the small ones are, where the large ones are, and gain a huge amount of information about what's going on in the field that the farmers would never be able to see at the ground walking through the crop. And this will help farmers sort of optimize the amount that they can grow and, and the size that they can that they can grow their their crops at. Yeah. So the, the the goal really is to try to treat every crop individually. The last hundred years, we've been able to basically grow at larger and larger scales. That's been the innovation in agriculture. Yeah. That means bigger and bigger tractors, bigger and bigger machinery, sprayers, everything, bigger irrigation booms. But it doesn't mean that we can ever actually do anything different within that. We're just doing the same thing at a very very large scale. Uh, and what information technology now means is that we're able to start going back to the original way of farming where the intuition of the farmer allows them to treat each crop individually. We want to be able to do that at the 100 hectare scale where we can actually apply a variable rate of nitrogen or other fertilizers or pesticides to each crop. So we're using just as much as is required and also improving the uniformity of the crop and then therefore the overall yield. That minimizes costs for us, minimizes environmental damage. Uh, overall, it's a win-win, it's but it's a challenge to, to achieve that. Sure. And I liked the phrase you used, data-driven data approach to growing, um, that that's the, uh, the approach that you're using within, within your team to, to farming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So can this model be adapted for crops other than leafy vegetables? Um, and if so, how, how might it differ? You mentioned cereals earlier on. Yeah, so it's, it's based on those two sort of simple assumptions that I said about how photosynthesis responds to temperature and light, and that uh, under optimum conditions, uh, there will be a set number of days for it to grow. So I think those assumptions may be, may be more or less re relevant for different crop types. Uh, but we've, we've extended this model beyond just iceberg lettuce out to obviously other types of lettuce since they're quite similar crops. Uh, we've extended it out to radishes, to baby leaf crops, which is your spinach, uh, rocket, things like that. And the same approach has worked in all those, those sectors. Um, I, we, we don't grow a lot of cereal grains in our, in our business. It's a sort of a side business. It's not actually associated with cheese growers. Uh, but there's no reason to think why it wouldn't work if you wanted to have that approach. The value in doing what we're doing, though, is uh, based on the fact that we have, we have to deliver every week uh, what we harvest, so it's fresh produce. You don't really have that problem in cereal grains where you can store things. So if you have a bit too much this week, not enough the next, that's not such a problem when you can accumulate supply. Um, for us, that's a huge problem, and that's what's driving our model, model uh, development. Well, it sounds like an absolutely fascinating project project. So thank you ever so much for coming in to talk to us. Absolutely, thank you. This is Sarah McDonnell from the Royal Statistical Society um, 2019 conference. Thank you very much.